Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which you speak to us through it. We trust, Lord, that this is a word that's profitable for us. And we ask that you would soften our hearts, that we might receive everything you have for us from your word this morning, or that you would give us wisdom so that we might live these lives that you've created us to live, that you've redeemed us to live, that we would live them in such a way that we bring great glory and honor to you. That you would help us to see this world clearly. That this world apart from you, what it really is and and the promises that it really makes and and how it fulfills those promises or doesn't. Lord, that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So help us, Lord, we pray. The power of your spirit. Enlighten us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you like to shop? I guess it's called the Dollar Tree. How many like to shop there? We have just a few, okay? I know there's others. There's closet. People, how many of you have ever been in the Dollar Tree or the Dollar Store? Only a few. Okay, how many of you have ever been to Five Below? Oh, it's an upgrade. Okay, Five Below, it's an upgrade. It's a little bit more. You get a little bit more uh, cred, I guess, at Sovereign Grace Church for shopping at Five Below instead of the Dollar Tree. In reality, listen, they're the same. Okay, let's just acknowledge they're all the same, but but they have their place in our world, don't they? Like they're useful. When my kids were little, they they loved to go to the dollar store. 
They probably would have loved to go anywhere as long as they were able to get something. But when we would go to the dollar store, and I'm sure some of you do this with your kids, if not, try this out. Just walk into the store and just say, hey, you can have whatever you want. And I think it's a dollar twenty-five now. So it's not a dollar, it's a dollar twenty-five. But but when you go in there, just say, Hey, you can get whatever it is you want. And when my kids were little, what they loved to do is they they'd go up and down these aisles. Because you can get anything. And if you can get anything, then you just you look at everything and you want to make the best decision. But inevitably, when they were little, they they kind of land in that one aisle where it had toys and sort of candy and stuff like that. And we'd go and we'd, we'd buy that thing for them. And they'd be really excited. You guys know what this is like. Because you go shopping too. And you like to buy what you buy. But kids love to buy things. And so sure enough, they'd get something and they'd love it because it, it just promised them joy. It promised them, I'm going to go home and play with my other brothers and we're going we're gonna to have a gunfight with this sort of Nerf gun or whatever it is that they ended up buying. But inevitably... You put anything from the dollar store in a kid's hand, not just my boys, inevitably that thing does not last, right? I mean, if you have boys, you put anything in their hands when they're little, you're lucky if that thing makes it through the day, especially if it's from the Dollar Tree. And sure enough, typically that's what would happen. They'd be all excited. A lot of times they didn't even make it home before whatever it is they got just broke and they were sometimes in tears. I won't say which ones, but some of them like to cry more than the others when they were disappointed. And we're just like that too. See, what we're going to learn today from Solomon is that the world we live in is like the dollar store. Or for you guys who like five below, it's, it's kind of like five below. It doesn't matter what it is, your job, your car, your house, your relationships, your school that you go to, your athletic achievements that you may or may not have, all of these things are similar to the dollar store or five below. They're, they're sort of cheap. They, they promise something, but in reality, apart from God, they, they just have this way of not really delivering what you had hoped they would. We might get excited about them. They may bring us some joy and pleasure for a moment. But if we're honest, and I think this is what Solomon wants us to do. He wants us just to be honest with ourselves. He wants us to really just take a look, a long look at the life we're living and the things that we're pursuing. In this case this morning, the things we pursue for pleasure that this world has to offer us. And we all do this. We all do something in the pursuit of pleasure, hoping that it's going to produce some sort of pleasure or satisfaction and joy. But what Solomon's going to show us this morning is that it doesn't. Apart from God, our pursuit of pleasure in this world, whether you're shopping at the Dollar Tree, Five Below, or the most expensive store in the world, it doesn't matter. A life that is pursuing pleasure apart from God is meaningless. It's vanity. It's a striving after the wind. It's chasing something and never actually getting our arms around it. So we're going to learn this truth, I think. Pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure apart from God 
is all meaningless and will never fully satisfy us. What's interesting is as I read through Ecclesiastes, as I prepare, now this is the third message in Ecclesiastes, it, it can start to just feel the same. It can, you can pick up on these themes. You get a lot of striving after the wind. You get a lot of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that's because he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to really get our attention. And I think in part, if you're anything like me, it's because we're dull sometimes. Because what we see sometimes kind of can trump what we actually believe to actually be true that we find in Scripture. And so what we have here with Solomon is, is he kind of walks us through now in this part his own pursuit of pleasure. He kind of shares a little bit of his testimony. And so he told us earlier, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity, it's all meaningless, it's all a bubble, it's all a vapor, it's just, it's sort of just a striving after the wind. And now he shifts gears a little bit and he kind of helps us see, okay, now now watch what I did. Let me, let me, let me show you how I came to that conclusion. So we're going to look at three points this morning. The first one is Solomon's intentional pursuit of pleasure. Point number one, Solomon's intentional pursuit of pleasure. And so as Solomon was searching for the meaning of life and a true sense of fulfillment in this life, he intentionally decided, okay, now now it's time, I'm going to go after pleasure. I'm going to go after things that are pleasing to my heart. Verse one, he said, And I said in my heart, come now, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. This was a deliberate step that he took to fully give himself to everything this world had to offer. With the hope that that just maybe, just maybe he'd find that one thing. He'd find something that was truly fun. That was truly satisfying. That truly brought meaning to his life where he could just say, this is it. This is the thing that you should run after. This is the thing that that you're going to find that sense of fulfillment, that sense of purpose for living the life that that you're living. That's going to get you out of bed every day. That's going to keep getting you out of bed every day. That's going to keep that smile on your face. And so he just said, I'm going to test this. Enjoy yourself. Pursue these things. It sounds clinical in some ways, doesn't it? That's part of the reason I, I, like, I like reading this book. Because I, I kind of like the way he thinks. I like the way he just sort of explores things. I like the way he's evaluating stuff. And I like the way God has placed it here for us so that we might learn from him. And so it feels sort of scientific. Like I'm going to experiment now. I'm going to give my heart to everything that I think that my heart would like. And so he does. Doesn't hold back in any way. So he tests it out with various pleasures. Can you think of anything in this world that you think would ultimately please you this morning? So there's this game I, I was kind of testing out with my friends. So if you got a text from me, this is where it came from. And I do this sometimes. And you guys have, have played this, I'm sure, in some ways. But the game was this. If I only had blank, then I would be happy. 
Have you ever, have you ever thought of that? If you didn't get a text from me, I'm sorry, I'll text it later. Or just let me know you want that so you can... It was just my research for this message. It's like, what are people thinking about? What are my family and my friends? What, what would they fill in the blank there? So right now, let's just play it, okay? Right in your mind, just think of something. If I only had blank, then I would be happy. And again, be honest. What's that thing right now, if it just showed up, would bring you the greatest joy? would fulfill your wildest dreams at this moment? Would, would more money make you happy? I got some of those responses, especially from the younger generation. Would finding a spouse make you happy? If God all of a sudden brought that spouse into your life and they proposed or whatever happened and you were able to get married here in the next six months, would that ultimately make you happy? Would having healthy kids or a healthy life make you happy? Would getting that promotion at your job make you happy? Would making the starting lineup for whatever sport you play, is that the thing that you'd fill in the blank? If you only got that, if coach would only see just how valuable you really are, and you're able to get that start, would would that really make you happy, you think? Would having everyone under your control, if if everybody just did what I asked them to do, would that make you happy? If if you were like king or queen for the day and everybody had to do what what you thought was best to do, was was that the thing? Would that be the thing you'd put in there that that would make you happy? Well, whatever it is that you just thought of or maybe secretly hoped to be, or hope to get one day, Solomon tells us this. He said, if you were to get that, if you could get just that one thing, if you were to get that, here's what Solomon would say. Apart from God, he says, but behold, this also was vanity. It's vanity. Again, it's, it's meaningless. It's temporary. It's a vapor. It's that bubble that you blow that kind of floats out and kind of amazes you for a second, and then it just bursts and it's gone. That, that's his conclusion. I'm giving my heart to pleasure. I'm not going to hold anything back. Whatever it wants, I'm just going to say, enjoy yourself. Go after it. And so before he shares what he actually went after, he just tells us, listen, that's what I did. And here's the result. Behold, all of it, vanity. All of it, vanity. He tells us, I got it. Whatever it is you want to put in that blank, Solomon's saying, I did it. I got whatever my heart wanted. I gave my heart to all of those things. I went after those things hard. And we're going to see how hard in just a moment. But, but he pursued the things of this world. Getting whatever it is he wanted. Not holding anything back from it at all. And he just says at the end of the day, you know what I really got? Nothing. Did it ultimately please him? He'd say, no. Vanity, all of its vanity. And I think in some ways, in the way I look at the structure of this, we could, we could probably end the message right now. He told us what he did, and then he gave us the conclusion. Hey, I gave, I gave myself to these things, and you know what? It's vanity. Let's just trust Solomon. Let's go get lunch, and let's go home. Problem is, that's not, that's not how we wrote about this, and it's not what God has given to us, because I think in God's wisdom, again, 
we, we need to hear more. What did he pursue? And not just what did he pursue, but like, how do we think about the things that he actually pursued? Because what he's going to show us is, I went after these things. And it's going to be tempting as we look at some of these things, because we probably want some of the things that he went after. And in the end, again, all meaningless. And so in our second point, we see this. Solomon explored every pleasure his heart's desire. In verse 2, he tells us he pursued laughter. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Now, if you have, let me ask this question. Does anybody not have access to the internet in here or social media, like any form of social media? And the other, the other one is like maybe if you don't have a friend. But I'm going to assume because you're here you have a friend and you have access to the internet in some way. And, and then I'm also going to assume that you've seen something funny on the internet at some point, right? Like they're just all over the place. I guarantee if there was like a famous one and if I brought it up, 99% of you would say, yeah, I've seen that funny video. Okay, who in here hasn't ever gotten caught up watching these funny videos? Like maybe you were on your phone for something and a friend sent you something. Next thing you know, you're just on YouTube and all you see, one thing after another, is just somebody doing something stupid, somebody doing something just idiotic, or just somebody sharing something extremely funny. And so you just find yourself for a lengthy period of time just finding yourself being distracted from whatever else is going on in the world just so you're being entertained and you're laughing. Before we had the internet, we had this thing called the television, where you had to watch cable TV, couldn't stream it, and you had to wait, and you'd watch these shows. This is what my family kind of grew up watching, and raise your hand if you've seen this, America's Funniest Home Videos. Okay, a lot of you younger kids probably have seen like the, the syndicated version of it, but, but we'd watch it, and so our families would gather around the TV, and we'd distract ourselves for about an hour a week laughing at other families doing silly things. Like you laugh at these kids who are supposed to be having their first birthday and they're trying to blow out the candles, but they fall asleep and their face goes into it. And there was other ones as well where you just, you'd watch dads do funny things and whatever. You just get the point. Like comedy and laughter have a purpose. And we're drawn to these things. Who in here would rather laugh than cry out of sadness? Most of us would, right? We, we like to laugh. We like to be happy. And so Solomon said, I pursued those things. Maybe not YouTube videos, but comedians, funny things. And he just says, you know what? All of it, it's just mad. A set of pleasure, what, what use is it? See, there's a reason you have all those funny videos and, and you keep going back to them is because it doesn't last, does it? But laughter is a gift from God, and we should enjoy it as a gift from God, but, but we don't find our ultimate hope in those things. And a lot of times, I think what he's getting at after here is, is that they have a way of distracting us from reality for a moment, but in the end, we have to come back to reality. And that life's not just a big joke. It's not a laughing matter, and you're not going to find hope and purpose in watching funny videos, in just living for a laugh, to distract yourself from what's really going on in life. 
speaking of escaping, and I think that's what he was getting at in some ways there. In this verse 3, Solomon tells us that he opened up his heart to alcohol to find joy. Verse 3, he says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Again, he, he just sounds so clinical here. I gave myself to laughter. I didn't, didn't find it there. I just said, what's the use? So then he turns. He's like, well, let's try alcohol. There seems to be an abundance of that around. I see people out there drinking this stuff. Let's, let, let's go after it. In my wisdom. And so there's some confusion. They're not confusion, but some debate. And I, and I think, and, well, let me back up. The debate is this. Okay, so when he decided to intentionally pursue wine and still keep his wisdom with him as he's trying to discern good, bad, how does this work, is was he like overindulging in this? Or was he like a frat guy? You know what I mean? Like one of those bad frat guys, not a good frat guy, a bad frat guy who just gave himself to getting drunk. And so where I think I'm going to land on this, I think he did both. I think Solomon was a wise man. I think he's probably a really good connoisseur of wine. I think he probably knew how to pair the best wine with the best steak in the best way to find out, like, does this do it? Can I drink it responsibly and enjoy it in such a way that it's fulfilling? And we also know Solomon's a man that lacks some self-control. He might have been a really wise man, but he, man, sinned big. And we're going to see this in a little bit at the end of this little testimony of his. And so I think he could, he could pair the wine with the steak, and I think he probably woke up with massive headaches some days. And he probably probably found himself puking his guts out. And so he, he just explored it. He explored alcohol. He explored, does this really satisfy? Does this really help me cope with the 700 marriages I have? He had 700 wives. Does this alcohol help me at the end of the day find joy in something as I see the world falling apart? Does it do anything? Does it, does it help him? Does it give him any amount of joy in any way? Now, let's be clear. Alcohol in itself, it's not evil. Again, I think it's a gift from God. But loving alcohol would be a sin. Or loving alcohol too much would be a sin. Being dependent upon alcohol to help us cope in reality, that too would be a sin. Getting drunk on alcohol, Scripture is clear, that too is a sin. See, many people abused alcohol and drugs hoping that it would help them in some way cope with the life they're currently living. But eventually, what happens when we drink too much alcohol and we hope that that stuff's going to go away, whatever the bad part in your life would be? Eventually, everybody who gives themselves to drinking alcohol, eventually everybody sobers up. It's just the nature of how it works. And what Solomon would say is, as I gave myself to this pleasure, as I pursued it responsibly and irresponsibly, guess what it did? It didn't fulfill. Didn't satisfy fully. Didn't bring him great joy ultimately in the end. He'd say, it too is vanity. 
The next pleasure that Solomon tells us he pursued is great works. This one I feel like this next part kind of hits us as well. I feel like all these hit us, but this next one sort of hits like us living in this area. And here's what he says. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So what he's saying here is he kind of built himself his dream house. Not just one, he built a number of houses. So it would appear that he didn't just build a dream house, but he built a dream land. He had what was best. And he built a lot of these things. So not just one house, many houses. Not just one vineyard, but multiple vineyards. He had not just one garden, but many gardens and parks and every fruit tree that was available at the time. He had pools of water to water his forest. Who in here has a forest? Anybody? So hey, kind of, if you've got some acreage, you probably have a little bit of a forest or you share somebody else's forest. I got a crepe myrtle. I did. I used to have three trees. I actually have trees in the far back that are annoying. That kind of, that's kind of a forest. But anyways, I have a crepe myrtle. That, that's what I get to claim. I don't get a forest. I have a crepe myrtle. But if I did have a forest, you know what I'd do? Any guesses? I'd build a disc golf course. Come on now, everybody would do that, right? You get a bunch of land. Like I think Solomon would have that today if they had that back then. You just get what he's talking about. Whatever you would want to do on a piece of land that you could own, Solomon said, I did it. I built my dream house. I built a number of dream houses. You think you can build a garden? I built the best garden. And not just one garden, I built multiple gardens. And then I built pools so that I could water all this stuff. I was looking this up. There's a house in Texas. It's not even a house. It's an estate. You can Google this later. But it's a $60 million estate in Texas. It's absolutely amazing. Every you could, everything you could think of is on this property. And I would just say it probably pales in comparison to what Solomon had. And so he, he gave himself to building his dream home. How many of you want to build a dream home? If you could, like, let's just be honest. It's okay. Again, this is a gift. Like, the Lord has blessed us, and we get to live in the land of the free. So you're free to go buy some acreage if you want. You're free to build whatever house you're building. Do not, I don't want, to, I know there's a number of people building houses right now in our church. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just reading God's word. Because Solomon did this. He loved doing this. His heart wanted it, so he went after it. And in the end, he just said, you know what? Vanity. It's all Vanity. So you can build these homes if you want to. But just be aware that these dream homes won't actually fulfill your dreams. They, they might for a moment. That's kind of what he's getting at here. They, they might for a moment. But see, dream houses or dream homes are really just kind of dressed up dollar stores. 
They are. Building a dream home wasn't enough for Solomon. He couldn't take care of all this. Imagine this. This guy's got all this property. He's got a forest. He's got gardens. And it's just one Solomon. He's got a bunch of wives and stuff like that. But, but it wasn't enough. And so he moves on and he says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So if you ever wondered, uh, how, how is he going to take care of all this stuff? Or how does a guy who has a $60 million estate actually take care of that estate? And what Solomon tells us is, I just bought people. I had slaves. I had a lot of slaves. I had so many slaves that they actually gave birth to other slaves that were then my slaves, and they took care of everything. And so in a sense, I didn't really have to do much. I had people and I had animals to take care of everything. And so he's kind of living the dream, you know? Everything he wants, pursuing whatever it is he wants, having servants around him to take care of whatever it is he wants. And in the end, he tells us this, it's vanity. It's all vanity. He goes on to tell us that not only did he have that, but he was just a rich man. Extremely rich man. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. To call him rich would be an understatement. See, money was never an issue for him at all. He gathered silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And so he got all that he could and then he'd take whatever he could take. He was rich. He had so much gold, he covered most of the things he used with it. Silver was, was in such an abundance that it really wasn't of much value at all. Whatever he wanted, he got. Again, remember, this is an intentional pursuit of pleasure. Does money do it for him? Can, can you imagine having to carry his burden? Can you imagine having to be him, to have so much gold and silver and just anything you wanted from any province because you were just this great man and this king and whatever you asked, you got. Can you imagine that? Or maybe you've played this game. Can you imagine winning the lotto? Anybody ever thought about that? Okay, right now I looked it up this morning. Mega Millions, I think $183 million. Am I right? Anybody want to admit they looked it up too? Anyways, it's a lot of money. Okay, when it got up to what, it got, got up to a billion dollars, I think, and four people won it maybe a year ago. That is a lot of money. That's life-changing money for anybody. Well, almost anybody. Right? So what would you do if all of a sudden you, I hope I'm not tempting anybody. That's the question. Anyways, what would you do if you won $183 million tomorrow? What, what would you buy? Would you keep your job? See, we always, we go down that road. We, my wife will play this sometimes and my other friends. Would, would you keep your job? Would you continue to work for Josiah and dig ditches? Or Jason and pull out people's toilets and replace them because it's been broken? And would, would you still do that job? Would you still live in Woodstock? Or would your life completely change because all of a sudden you came into $183 million? Well, here's the real question is, do you think it would really make you happy? 
It does change your life when you get $183 million. But I was reading this other article about people who've won the lotto, and it does change lives. But it, there was really no significant difference is what this research found out about happiness with people who won it and people who didn't win it. So they did research on this, but Solomon tells us anyways, you know what? You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the money in the world, and apart from God, guess what? At the end of the day, it's vanity. It's not ultimately going to satisfy you. It's not going to bring this sense of fulfillment. And, and what we see here is he also, with this money, he bought singers. I, th- I find that interesting. So if you were at his house, he'd have like a Morgan Wallen and a Taylor Swift there all the time. Or he'd have Judah and the Lion. That's who I would have. I'd bring Judah and the Lion in. That's who he had. They didn't have iPods or that kind of stuff at that point in time. But in his house, he had people who would sing whenever he wanted. He had entertainment. He had music. At, he just snapped his fingers and they'd start playing something. And did it make him happy? It didn't. Finally, he tells us that his search for pleasure also included sexual immorality. As he gathered for himself on top of the 700 wives that he had, he gathered many concubines to the delight of the sons of man, Scripture says. In First Kings, we learn that he had 300 concubines. Now, these were women in his life that were sort of his possession that weren't wives. They were solely in his life for his own sexual pleasure. And I I think for clarity's sake, he's not boasting about this at this point in his life. There's an older man sharing wisdom with us, saying, listen, I did this. I think if he's here, he'd say, "I'm I'm not proud of this. But this is what I did. I gave in to lust. It was enticing. I gave in to sexual immorality. I had concubines. 300 of them, on top of my 700 wives. And none of it was fulfilling. See, sexual temptation is real. Solomon fell into this temptation hoping it was going to deliver him true joy and happiness. But it didn't. Part of it is just logically you think about it. Okay, does it really fulfill? And you say, okay, let's... Let's think about the 700 wives. So one wasn't good enough, two was You think maybe five? No, he went to 700 wives. Okay, well, then maybe just one concubine, right? Or two or three. No, he couldn't even stop there. He went to 300. Like, just try to do the math. That's a 1,000 different women in his life for his own pleasure. And at the end of the day, he says, vanity of vanities. You see, sexual temptation, it's It's real. Lust is real. It it promises fulfillment. It promises this joy. But it just leaves us empty. And it destroys pretty much everything in its path. In Proverbs chapter 5, we find a warning against sexual immorality, specifically adultery. And here Solomon tells us what happens to the person who gives in to sexual immorality. This is Proverbs chapter 5, verse 23. And so if you're not familiar with this chapter in Proverbs, I encourage you to read it. Just a warning about adultery, a warning about sexual immorality. But this last verse, verse 23, 
I just think it's so important for us to think about, not just as men, but men and women, when it comes to any form of sexual immorality, any form of lust that arises in our hearts. He says this, he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he's led astray. In a sense, that's the, that's the end of the matter when it comes to sexual immorality, when it comes to sexual temptation. He just says, He dies for lack of discipline. He dies because he's not doing what God has called him to do. He dies because he's lazy. He dies because God has called him to do this, but he's decided to do this. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. That's the end of the matter. That's what 700 wives and 300 concubines get you. There's not this great fulfillment of joy, maybe momentarily, But in the end, it just leaves you wanting. It leaves you desperate. It leaves you broken. Because God hasn't called us to that. He hasn't called us to have 700 wives. He hasn't called us to have 300 concubines. He's called you. If he's called you to be married, he's called you to one woman or one man. And to trust him for those boundary lines that he's given to you. To enjoy your spouse. To delight in your spouse. Read Song of Solomon. For the glory of God, not to go outside of those boundary lines because it destroys. See, this world will never teach you that because this world celebrates sexual immorality. This world sells lust. I know you know this. It's all over the place. And Solomon just says, I've seen it. I gave myself to it. I ran hard after it. And in the end, guess what? Nothing good. Nothing good. You see, the pursuit of pleasure, what it does is it keeps us chasing, but never catching. Third and final point, Solomon's concluding thoughts on the pursuit of pleasure apart from God. Verse 9, so I became great. I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. That's it. Say, whatever pleasure I received from these things, that's all I got. That's it. Nothing eternal. Just that momentary pleasure. That's it. I pursued it. I became great. Whatever pleasure I got, that was it. Vanity. He got a little pleasure, but not a lasting pleasure. He got a little joy in the moment, but not a lasting joy. And then in verse 11, he concludes by saying, then I considered that all my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, here it is. All of us who are going to pursue pleasure apart from the glory of God, we're just going to run after the things of this world. You're going to test it out. Here's what he says. All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Just ask anybody who's over the age of 50 if this is true. Or ask somebody who's in the season above you. Say, hey, did you ever pursue this? Was it worth it? Ask somebody who's destroyed their marriage because they were pursuing sexual immorality. 
Ask them, say, was it worth it? Ask somebody who loves to get drunk. Ask them, say, is it worth it? Is, is living for pleasure apart from God, is it worth it? Is Solomon really telling the truth? And we know he is. See, all of this is temporary. And I'll end with one of my favorite Tom Brady stories, just because it's Tom. And I know he's retired, and Luke, you're on today. And Luke loves to hear about Tom, but it's a famous story. And there's a reason it's famous. Okay, so after he won his third Super Bowl, he sat down with 60 Minutes. And they're just amazed at Tom Brady like everybody in the world is. And they say, Tom, what do you think? I mean, you're on top of the world. You've got it all. Three Super Bowls. You're so amazing. He's got seven now, for those of you that don't know. And here's what he had to say, okay? Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. A lot of people would say that. You're on top of the world. You're the greatest of all time. I reach my goal, my dream, my life, me, I think. And here's his final thoughts after he'd won his third one. It's got to be more than this. Got to be more than this. I think everybody thinks that, no matter who you are. You live life in this world, you can get, you could have that $60 million estate and you're going to wake up alone. Or you're going to walk into your dream house when that thing's finally built and, and you're going to love it and it's going to be good. But I, I just think you feel that. You just feel this, there's got to be more than this, right? And it's true. You know why it's true? Because there is. God did not create us to live here forever. He did not create us to be the greatest of all time. He didn't. He created us to work hard as unto him, to glorify him, to fear him in all things, to enjoy these things for his glory. But he hasn't called us to enjoy this place forever. And so you're going to pursue everything in this world and you're going to feel this. There's got to be more than this. And when you feel that, let that sort of be a pointer to, yes, there is. There's a great God in heaven who's created us and who has sent his son Jesus to live for us and to die for us, to redeem us, so that we might glorify him in all that we do, so that we might have hope beyond this world. Because there is something greater than this. So may we never find ultimate pleasure in the things of this world. May we, may we not run hard after those things apart from God because when you do, it's just foolishness. May we trust God. May we trust Him for all things. May we enjoy all that He has given us, recognizing that He is the giver of all things and honor Him in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I ask that you would just pour out your spirit upon us, that, Lord, you would enable us to live for your glory, that you would enable us, Lord, to honor you in everything, to receive all that you have for us through your word, that we would fear you and keep your commandments with great joy. And, Lord, may we never grow too comfortable in this world, but instead, Lord, may we long to spend eternity with you. And, Lord, may we love Jesus. And pick up our cross and follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.